0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome. Thanks for tuning in for this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Well, coming up, President Biden is in Europe this week as he attends a NATO summit in Lithuania tomorrow and Wednesday. Now, President Biden says his goal is to strengthen NATO. What I'm trying to, quite frankly, put together is a little bit of a consortium here. Where we're strengthening NATO in terms of the military capacity of both Greece as well as Turkey and allow Sweden to command. But it's a it's again it's it's in play. It's not done. Well part of the deal is giving new F-16s to Turkey, but that requires congressional approval. Will Republican the Republican-controlled House, go along with such a move? We're going to talk about that today. Also, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen looked like a bobblehead in China over the weekend as she repeatedly bowed in front of her Chinese counterpart.
2: An objective
3: of my trip was to explain that national security is something that we can't compromise about and we will protect And we will do so even if it harms our own narrow economic interests.
1: Now, is the Treasury Secretary the best the administration can do when it comes to national security? We're going to talk about that with Texas Congressman Keith Self, who just returned from Taiwan. President Biden has nominated replacement for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, whose term is expiring in September. Now, President Biden has tapped Air Force General Charles Brown, who, believe it or not, is even more steeped in wokeness. How do the terms mom and dad impair cohesive team building?
0: Part of uh, leadership is understanding the people you are privileged to lead. And as you have that opportunity, you get to know them. And every one of us grows up differently and has different experiences, different backgrounds. And we can't assume when we engage with them.
1: That was Florida Congressman Matt Gaetz questioning General Brown in April. We're going to talk about that. Our own General, General Jerry Boykin, joins me for that conversation coming up a little bit later. And with the Supreme Court striking down President Biden's unlawful student loan bailout, this is modern political science 101 for young people, a prime example of how the left promises something that's not theirs to give in exchange for your votes. Now, the question is, could this backfire on President Biden and the Democrats? We're going to talk about that with Dave Bratt, former Virginia congressman and now dean of the Liberty School of Business. Earlier today, a federal judge denied the Biden administration's appeal of a decision last week that prohibits the Biden administration from communicating with social media companies to silence disfavored content. Now, to me, this is very revealing about the Biden administration's efforts to silence those they disagree with by appealing this order. We're going to get a reaction from the Attorney General of Missouri, Andrew Bailey, who, along with Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, secured this court order, restricting the Biden administration. We're going to talk about that later. Our passage for today comes from Luke chapter 2. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, which directed him, revealed to him, and spoke through him. This is the power of living a Spirit-filled life. But think about this. Simeon's whole life was defined in this one moment of recorded history. Yet the Bible tells us he lived in preparation for this moment, and when that moment came, he was ready. Question is, are we? To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as I mentioned, Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen met with Chinese officials in Beijing over the weekend, claiming progress in relations between the world superpowers, but making no major announcements following the meetings. Now, we've seen increased Chinese aggression throughout President Biden's tenure in office, from floating a spy balloon across the country to establishing secret police stations on U.S. soil to increased persecution of religious minorities. The question is, was Secretary Yellen's Beijing trip another display of weakness in response to such aggression? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Keith Self, He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas, and he just returned from a trip to Taiwan. Congressman Self, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Good to be back. Thank you, Tony. So let me ask you this question. Your thoughts on Treasury Secretary Yellen's trip to China, which include this bizarre bowing to Chinese officials.
3: Well, she certainly reminded me of a chicken bobbing its head. Uh, I'm not sure it was a bow as much as a bob. But, uh, yes, we have seen two cabinet secretaries travel to communist China in the last two months. Uh, on the other hand, we've seen China restrict a couple of minerals that are needed for a semiconductor uh, uh, manufacturer. And we've seen them uh, launch more ships and more planes against uh, Taiwan. Uh, testing Taiwan. So, uh, yes, I don't think there's any doubt that we are there groveling in front of uh, the communist Chinese.
1: She said this was about national security. Now, uh, I know there are issues revolving around our the U.S. Treasury as it pertains to uh, national security, but I would think that um, she would not be the best one to be having conversations about national security?
3: Well, if you want to talk national security and the Treasury, a chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, several removed uh, one time said that the biggest uh, challenge facing the United States was our debt. Uh, That's something that she should be intimately involved in and trying to reduce our debt so that we can maintain a strong military uh, and strong foreign policy.
1: Speaking of China and their increasing threat, not only to our national security on a multitude of fronts, uh, but Taiwan. You were a part of a congressional delegation to visit Taiwan uh, last week. What did you learn?
3: Well, I learned uh, uh, quite a bit. We saw technology. We saw diplomatic initiatives. We talked to uh, the president, the vice president, the foreign minister, and a group of legislators. And I will tell you, the one, uh, issue, the one uh, thing that I did learn in spades was that young Taiwanese consider themselves Taiwanese, not Chinese. Uh, I think that bodes well for Taiwan. Now, they have their challenges. Uh, first of all, we're three and a half years behind in providing them the weapons systems that they've already paid for. Uh, they have the challenge of being basically the same distance, uh, similar distance, as Cuba is from Florida, from uh, 1.3 billion uh, communist Chinese citizens, uh, the fastest growing military in the world. So they have their challenges, uh, but they are, I think, up to the challenge. I will tell you, President Zai is a very impressive uh, uh, leader. Uh, she may be the next Iron Lady of Asia, following Maggie Thatcher in the U.K. and Golda Meir in Israel, of course.
1: Let me go back to something you said, Congressman Self, about uh, they have paid for the, this, uh, the, these weapons, the armament. What's the problem there with them actually having taking possession?
3: A great question. Simply haven't been provided to them. Of course, we have problems in our defense industrial base. Uh, providing the numbers of equipment that uh, we need and all of our allies uh, have already paid for. Uh, lots going to Ukraine, of course. Uh, so it's simply a matter of we have not provided the weapons systems that they have, have paid for. And I think that's an issue that the Foreign Affairs Committee is looking at in some detail, uh, because that is something that we could uh, try to ameliorate to fix uh, quickly, and I think that we probably should. Uh, It all depends on your timeline of when China will be capable of uh, invading Taiwan uh, should they make that final effort. And we cannot deter them.
1: Well, could that not accelerate such a decision if the Taiwanese are not able to adequately protect themselves or defend themselves?
3: Well, I will tell you, the, the president didn't say it outright, but she strongly suggested that their new strategy of an interior homeland defense on the island, rather than defeating the invasion force in the strait, uh, may stem from our inability to provide them those weapon systems. Again, she strongly suggested that the two were tied together. So, if they're falling back into a deeper defense on the island itself, as opposed to uh, attriting the attacking force, uh, that that uh, may play a part in their strategic thinking and their strategic defense defense planning.
1: What was your sense in your meetings and conversations in terms of their confidence that America is and will be there to stand with them?
3: I think that they're confident, uh, because it is a bipartisan uh, effort in Congress to support uh, Taiwan. Uh, so I think they're fairly confident. Uh, but of course, as we know, the executive branch uh, is the one that executes uh, war uh, wartime activities. And uh, this, uh, this administration has showed its weakness uh, since the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh, so I have talked to at least one our uh, senior member in Congress that says he believes that uh, communist China may make this effort during the Biden administration, uh, knowing the weakness of this administration. Is something we need to at least uh, plan for, be prepared for, uh, at least strategize about.
1: Congressman, myself, this may sound like an elementary question, but I want to give our, our our viewers and listeners the benefit of of your response to this. From a standpoint of a nation that, you know, you mentioned Afghanistan 20 years, uh, the United States directly involved. Now we've got Ukraine uh, that we've not had uh, direct involvement, but indirectly sending lots of uh, material to that country. The concern, what threat does China's intimidation and potential invasion of Taiwan mean to America?
3: Well, when you look at 92% of all advanced microchips are produced in Taiwan, that's not just a threat to America. That's a threat to the entire world. And as I said before, just before uh, Yellen's visit to Communist China, Communist China restricted the export of germanium and gallium. Those are two minerals that are very uh, very instrumental in the manufacture of semiconductors. Uh, so they have a strong hand to play, and uh, but that is the threat to the U.S. and the world, 92%. Think about that. That is a near monopoly, near absolute monopoly on all of the chips that run all of the things that we uh, use chips in. For instance, a low-end car has 300 chips in it. A high-end car might have 500 chips in it. So this is a real threat.
1: Could it also bolster not only communist China if they're able to roll into Taiwan without the U.S. being there to stand with their ally? Uh, bolster other tyrants uh, around the world and and make the the world even a a, a greater uh, bring about greater instability than we already have.
3: We see that around the world today. Uh, the weakness in the Biden administration is well known. Uh, this is simply another. A demonstration of it, Uh, yelling, bowing before uh, the communist Chinese. It's simply uh, another indication of it. So we see it around the world already. Everyone tests the Biden administration. Uh, As we've said before on this program, Putin started moving troops toward Ukraine within weeks of the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. So it's, it's a real problem around the world.
1: All right, Congressman, thanks for joining us. Folks, stick with us. General Boykin joins us next. Don't go away.
0: their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous.
4: Welcome back to Washington
1: Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. All right. The Senate Armed Services Committee will hold a nomination hearing tomorrow for Air Force General Charles Q. Brown, Jr., President Biden's choice to replace General Mark Milley as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, General Brown has made some statements indicating he'll be a faithful ally of the Biden administration's woke military policies. Now, his hearing comes in the midst of Senator Tommy Tuberville's ongoing hold on military promotions of flag officers due to the military's illegal abortion travel policy, which has the left fired up for another round of uh, vitriol against Coach Tuberville. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is FRC's Executive Vice President, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He was a founding member of the Army's elite Delta Force and former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence during the George W. Bush administration. General, welcome back to the program. Great to see you. Thank you. Good to be with you. All right. Before I get into uh, this nomination, I want to go uh, to the president's comments that I played earlier in the program uh, about his negotiations with NATO and wanting to give Turkey the new uh, F-16s in, in exchange for them backing off their opposition of Sweden coming into NATO. Your thoughts on that?
5: My thoughts are: uh, I went up on the uh, border of Turkey, uh, and in 19, I mean in uh, 2018, and Michelle Bachmann and others were with us, and we went up on the border there with uh, Kurdistan, and we went up to a school up there that had been bombed by the Turks. And they said they bomb us at least two or three times a week. They—in that particular case, they had killed children. And if you ask anybody in there that knows what's going on, they will tell you that the Turks are routinely bombing across the border into uh, the—what we would consider to be sovereign territory there in Iraq which uh, a portion of which is uh, kurdistan and uh, they as far as i'm concerned it's a mistake to give them this in fact i'm i'm surprised that uh, turkey has been able to stay in uh, in nato and you you and i were over in that part of the world when we got a very clear message from one of the world leaders over there about what erdoğan was and uh, i think that uh, i have incredible reservations against giving Turkey something that they can kill more Kurds with.
1: Yeah, I'm actually surprised they're still in NATO as well. And and I think there's some security complications here because they're, if I'm not mistaken, they were either trying to get or acquired Russian air defense uh, technology,
5: <laughs> right. which would seem to be incompatible with getting U.S. aircraft. Yeah. Listen, we got to, we have to, look at it realistically, the reason Turkey is not in the uh, EU, uh, EU is because of uh, Germany, quite frankly. And, I, and years ago, uh, I talked to someone out of their uh, parliament uh, there, and uh, and they were very clear that uh, they do not want to let Turkey in because of the Gastarbeiter, which are uh, foreign workers, which came in and started in uh, World War One when all the Turks came into Turkey, and now what they're afraid of is that uh, if they open it up to them, then where you have no borders, you have no borders in terms of uh, immigration, and they will be able to let people in to their country. And once they get into their country, they will be able to go into other countries without having to have a visa or anything like that. So we have a situation there that is really uh, being driven by the concerns that the Germans have primarily now, other concerns have arisen, uh, particularly those concerns uh, that have to do with the legitimacy of the elections there in Turkey. So we've got a right. we've got a difficult situation there. Well, let's uh, let's move on. I want
1: I want to get to uh, the president's nominee for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Air Force General Charles Q. Brown Jr. Um, as I look and I played a clip at the top of the program, in fact, I, I want to play this clip again, because I think it's very instructive in terms of the, the wokeness of, uh, this nominee. Let's play, play clip number seven.
3: How do the terms mom and dad impair cohesive team building?
0: You know, part of, uh, leadership is understanding the people you're privileged to lead. And as you have that opportunity, you get to know them. And every one of us grows up differently and has different experiences, different backgrounds. And we can't assume
5: when we engage with them. You buy that? No. Tony, uh, let me just say this. Our military is in a very difficult situation right now. Not only the recruiting and the retention as a result of uh, our our youth not being fit for service, but these this this uh, period of time between uh, actually it, it started in the Obama period when we've started this woke stuff, and we're wasting time. And we are, quite frankly, we have people that are not ready to fight, even though they're in the military, because they've lost a lot of their opportunities to train and be ready. We need a commander. Uh, we need a chairman of the Joint Chiefs, that understands the situation that we're in and is willing to go all out with a laser focus on military readiness, and that means training our people to go to war. Can Brown do that? Not by what I see, Tony. As I read through everything about him and talked to people, I talked to a number of people today just uh, hearing what they—these th- th- were people that uh, knew him uh, not well. and many cases but uh, they knew him and, uh, and and there was not any notion that he was going to be the savior of our military that he was going to be able to get them back on the right track they see him as being a one-track soldier a one-track mind and that is the woke agenda of this administration and that's exactly why he is he's there now what does that mean to uh, the people in the senate uh look the republicans are outnumbered so this guy is probably going to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs. But uh, I will tell you that uh, 2004 cannot come quickly enough. And our hopes of being able to get a real commander-in-chief there that cares about these uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, but also understands that it's immoral for him to let them go to war and mm-hmm. uh, and not have the benefit of all the training available for them to get ready for that. and it, and all you have to do is go back to 2016, in January 2016, when those two patrol boats were taken off the coast of Iran. And right. uh, that was the most humiliating thing that I have seen in 36 years in the military.
1: That's, and that's what because happens when they you focus ready. on all this. That's yeah. right. General, we've got to leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the days ahead. Thanks for joining us. All right, folks, stick around. More to come.
4: Get this free guide at frc.org slash to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
6: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org/worldview. Again, go to frc.org/worldview.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. The website TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. All right, in, a, in an opinion written by Chief Justice Roberts, the Supreme Court struck down President Biden's student loan bailout plan. Now, this is essentially, he essentially said that Congress had not given them the authority, therefore it was unlawful. Now, question is, could this be a lesson in the politics of the left for those who were banking on the Biden administration bailing them out? Now, keep in mind that this was announced right before the midterm election. I mean, this is kind of you know, this is what the left does. They, uh, they essentially buy votes with your money. question is, could this backfire on them? Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Dave Bratt. He's former congressman from Virginia and now the dean of the School of Business at Liberty University. Dr. Bratt, welcome back to Washington Watch.
7: Hey, Tony, great to be on with you. Thank you.
1: All right, so let's just uh, let's dive into this. The, uh, the Supreme Court, in an opinion written by the Chief Justice, essentially said the, uh, the, the administration did not have the authority to do this. And so all of those who were waiting for the big government bailout, who had traded their votes for a political promise, well, guess what? They're going to have to start paying those bills.
7: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, the article and uh, in, in the, in the piece you shared uh, it is really incredible. There are so many falsehoods, right? Biden is a smart guy. He's got a very smart team around him. They know the, the Constitution of the Supreme Court. They know what that decision is going to be. And so the shocking thing the average person uh, can't see because we have not educated our young people in, in the arts and the rhetoric of, of uh, politics properly is that most of these things are lies right they, they know full well the Supreme Court's going to knock that down now he's holding out false hope again like you said offering up uh, free goods and but the but the most brutal uh, lies you know they're not mistruths, they're not misstatements they're fa- total falsehoods is implying that the Republican Party is still in charge of the economics. Uh, the opposite right now is true. The, the, the left is blessed with an abundance of riches now that has made them the new capitalist class, right? And so the Marxists, the thesis that, you know, the workers are going to rise up against the capitalists, uh, that thing's not so hot anymore. They own metaphorically but they control through ESG and other mechanisms. The left owns the Fortune 500 right now. They own all the big tech firms. They own all the major communication platforms. They own K-12. They own every major city in the United States. They own it. They're responsible for the outcomes. And so when they say that the Republicans and the Supreme Court, you know, favoring the billionaires, boy, I wish I had a few billionaires in my class when I was running. And so, yeah, it's not just offering up stuff before elections. Everybody knows that. Uh, The left, I think, is and, and, and the inner cities and our Hispanic brothers and sisters in the church are seeing through this smokescreen and there's a new uh revitalization of a populist middle based on middle class and wanting to work hard and follow the american virtues and uh so i I think a bigger and bigger group is starting to see through that uh the scam of promising (laughs) goodies uh, for votes
1: we actually saw that in the midterm election with more and more of the minority vote from the Hispanic community and the African American community larger percentages going to Republican candidates. Yeah. The question is could this this have the same effect upon that uh, younger demographic that has always been kind of golden ground for the for the left although they don't turn out in high numbers but they've often counted on them to make the difference but you know this promising but not delivering this yep. is, uh, you know, politics 101, a, a real lesson yep. for yep. those who listen to the promises of the left.
7: Yeah, you're right. They, they've been doing it a long time. Uh, they're very good at it. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to go at my own team, uh, but it will only be successful as long as our team never grabs the microphone and explains these things. Right. They, I found, I I was an economist for 20 years as Eric Hanushek is the best guy on. Uh, economics of education in the world. He, he had the, the, the smartest guys give the simplest charts, right? For 50 years, educational spending has gone like that. And test nape test scores have gone like this. They're flatter like than a pancake. So spending's gone through the roof. It's up to, you know, 16,000 plus per kid right now. And the kids can't read at the uh, fourth grade level. They can't do math at the eighth grade level. There's only one other thing that goes up with that spending. And guess what that is? You know, the number of administrators that work for the deep for the administrative state, and there, you know, and and so it, they built up a, a gigantic uh, political uh, mechanism. The latest jobs report, by the way, the the biggest sector of job growth was the government. So it, uh, there's just too much information, right? If if our team can't win with that with that abundance of information, uh, we don't deserve to win. But you're not hearing anything. So come on, come on, let's go. It, the, and these views are my own. The too, hope. These are
1: just just my own. Well, the, the, the hope is what you said, that that working class, that middle, the uh, the, the majority who, who understand the work is not just about a paycheck, uh, right. but going back to even the Puritan work ethic, where yes. it's a part of our extension of our worship of God. We want to do it. And, and yeah. we want to be treated fairly. And the, yeah. the policies of these two parties could not be more stark. Dr. Bratt, out of time. Thanks for talking to us. Always great to see you.
7: Love it. God bless you, Tony. Keep doing what you're doing.
1: All right. Stick with us, folks. We're back with more Washington Watch after this.
6: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Prayvote Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Monday. Mark your calendar: September the fifteenth through the seventeenth, the Prevote Stand Summit in Washington D.C. You can be a part of it. We'll have uh, many of the Republican hopefuls, including uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis. They'll be there. They've already confirmed, and we've got others confirming by the day. Check it out: prayvotestand.org. Go ahead and make your plans to join us. That's September 15th through the 17th. And by the way, be sure and tune in tomorrow. We'll have Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn talking about China. We'll have uh, Oklahoma Governor uh, Stitt will be on with us tomorrow. And uh, Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett will be joining us to talk about UFOs. Don't want to miss that conversation. All right. Earlier today, a federal judge denied a request from the Department of Justice to say that the July 4th Uh, Order by a judge limiting the Biden administration's communication with social media companies due to First Amendment concerns, well, he denied their request to overturn that order. Uh, You'll remember this temporary injunction came in response to lawsuits from attorney generals in Louisiana and Missouri, whose filings described the actions of the Biden administration as the, quote, most egregious violations of the First Amendment in the history of the United States of America. Now, this has been court documents. Join me now to get his reaction to today's decision by the court in Louisiana is the mater- Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. General Bailey, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you for having me on.
1: Now, I, I want to get your reaction. The Justice Department requested a stay on the judge's temporary injunction from last week that was uh, it rejected that today. Um, to me, it's pretty straightforward. The, the, the earlier order just said, look, no more of this collusion with the social media giants to silence disfavored speech. The court today said uh, no to their effort to push that aside. Your thoughts?
2: Yeah, one one. Wonders why the Biden administration is trying to appeal the court order. The court order merely says that the Biden administration can't violate the Constitution. It's a 155-page order, but most of the, those uh, are just documenting the instances in which the, the Biden administration appears to have violated the First Amendment in the past. And so all the judge said is, hey, we're going to start to erect this wall of separation between tech and and state, and you can't violate the the, the uh, constitutional right to free speech in the future. Why would they appeal that? And so then they they file this notice of appeal, say that they're going to suffer irreparable harm to the national security apparatus if they don't get a stay of the district court order. And the district court today evaluates it and says, well, look, DOJ, you haven't put on any evidence or shown me anything that would, that would demonstrate that lawful behaviors are curtailed under this order. All we're saying is you can't violate the constitution.
1: Yeah, that was my that was my thought when I read the initial order that normal activity that would be, you know, protecting national security or other violations of the law were still allowed to take place uh, under the judge's July 4th order. So in their appeal, it suggests to me that they want to continue to silence his favored speech.
2: That's absolutely right. They want to continue to suppress Americans' free speech, and they only target conservative voices. Anything that the federal bureaucrats or Joe Biden disagree with or think is not true, they want the right to silence. Certainly the First Amendment prohibits that. The court picked up on that. That's why we have this nationwide injunction, and really, it's dripping with irony if you think about it. The same screaming heads that are saying that this uh, this court order is the end of the world, that it's going to destroy coordination between the government and, and big tech, uh, are, are sowing disinformation under the guise of trying trying to protect us from disinformation.
1: What's the timeline of this case as it moves forward? Um, this is a temporary injunction, as you pointed out, that prohibits the Biden administration from, you know, and I'll use the term colluding because that's what it is with uh, social media giants. So, w- what is the timeline in which we could see this case progress?
2: Well, I anticipate that we'll be in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, the Department of Justice, I believe, has instantaneously requested a review of the trial court's denial of that stay, uh, and will seek it, a stay at the Fifth Circuit. So they're going to go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and make the same argument. And I think that we'll be successful on the merits. I think that the court, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, maybe by the end of the week, probably by the end of next week, will have de- will also have denied the Department of Justice's request for a stay, and the injunction will be in place. Then we get to the merits discovery. Look, we've only begun to scratch the surface. We know the Trojan horse, or excuse me, the COVID was the Trojan horse that allowed the enemy behind the gate to justify, allowed the federal government to justify the censorship enterprise. But it's expanded. It's grown. And it's become so big that it can only be described as a vast censorship enterprise, the nerve center of which is, is housed in the Department of Homeland Security. We've got to keep uncovering every stone, leaving no stone unturned to root out this vast censorship enterprise and continue to build that wall of separation between tech and state to protect our First Amendment, especially as we move into an election cycle.
1: Well, that, that was going to be my question, General Bailey. Is this a part of them seeking uh, this in this stay on this uh, temporary injunction? Is they're afraid this could go into the next election, and they want the ability to continue to suppress the speech of Americans, conservatives?
2: I think that's absolutely true. I mean, that's what they're committed to. They don't think that they've done anything wrong. They're unrepentant, and they're willing to do it again. When we went to court on May 26, they were specifically asked by the judge whether or not it would be a violation of the First Amendment for the federal government to suppress an American citizen's right to question the, uh, the, the result of an election. And the Department of Justice said, well, it depends. They're unwilling to commit to protecting core political speech. That's why the court order is so important.
1: Now, with this court order in place, let's talk uh, theoretically here for just a moment about violations of this. Let's say the Biden administration, they don't get this injunction. The order stays in place and they violate it. Number one, how will we know if they violate it? And number two, what could be the consequences for them and the social media companies that would collude with them?
2: Well, we'll know because we're going to continue to monitor it through the discovery process. We will now have access to additional witnesses and innumerable documents and files and evidence. And so we're going to monitor it through that process. And if we find anyone violating the court order, we're going to move to hold them in contempt. And it's the power of contempt that compels the federal government to obey the constitutional protection of free speech.
1: Can a hotline be set up for those within the social media world to uh, to offer tips if, in fact, uh, the Biden administration begins to lean on them again?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need again, we're going to continue to erect this wall of separation between tech and state and we're going to need everybody's help in identifying where that censorship is occurring to stay on top of. We've got to remain vigilant and, and protect the free, fair, and open marketplace of ideas, especially as we move into an election cycle, and we'll use every tool at our disposal to accomplish that. Long term, Congress probably needs to appoint an inspector general to monitor compliance with the court order. This is a lawsuit that's going to end up in the United States Supreme Court. It's the most important First Amendment lawsuit in a generation. We've uncovered the worst First Amendment violations in this nation's history. And again, we've only begun to scratch the surface. If we want to preserve our legacy of freedom, given to us by God and enshrined in the Constitution by our founding fathers and handed down to us as a legacy of freedom, we've got to stay on top of this.
1: So you you do believe that we've talked about this before and you've said before you think this is going to end up before the United States Supreme Court And of course, they issue opinions only once a year in June, pretty much of every year. Just uh, is this something you think they might pick up for next year? Or is this something that will be post-election before we'll actually have a a final adjudication on it?
2: Well, I think final adjudication is going to take a year or two to to get there. I mean, like I said, we've only scratched the surface. We need to get into the merits of the case. Now, if the Fifth Circuit uh, denies the, the, the trial court's injunction or you know, overturns the trial court injunction or stays the trial court injunction or, or does something else, certainly we would seek uh, relief in the United States Supreme Court, and, and I assume that the Department of Justice would as well. So there may be preliminary matters that are going to get to the United States Supreme Court, but the, the heart of the case, uh, the merits of the case, and again, rooting out the vast censorship enterprise is going to take time, take effort, and ca- take vigilance on, on behalf of Louisiana, uh, Missouri, and certainly the private plaintiffs as well.
1: So this going back again to this order that was in place, this is critical then because this is basically going to be the policy that's in place going into this election cycle and through this election cycle. So this is the one element that can essentially tie the hands of the left that ha- that we know, as you said, this is not speculation. You have the evidence that they manipulated the uh this virtual public square to benefit the left in the last election.
2: That's absolutely right. And it's not just that we possess this quantum of evidence. We put on that evidence in court and convinced a judge that we're likely to succeed on the merits of our claim. He said there's likely a vast censorship enterprise, the nerve center of which is in the Department of Homeland Security. And that, uh, you know, in court, when the when uh, the judge looked at the Department of Justice and said, well, give me one example of when you've ever silenced uh, censored speech, Uh, That wasn't conservative speech. The Department of Justice struggled to come up with an example. The only example they gave was one Democrat who disagreed with Joe Biden. So it clearly is being weaponized to silence dissent, which is the very purpose of the First Amendment.
1: So, General Bailey, as this process goes on and you'll be making uh, more presentations to the court, you'll be doing more discovery. Will the public have the benefit of knowing more of what was going on behind the scenes in this process?
2: Absolutely. We're committed to transparency. Certainly, we've released as much information uh, as we've been allowed to by the court within the confines of due process and due diligence, and we're committed to to the public understanding what went on here so we can prevent it from ever happening in the future.
1: Well, I tell you what, we're so thankful for you and Jeff Landry leading the charge on this, and of course, grateful Uh, the Fifth Circuit's decision, uh, well, the the court's here in the Fifth Circuit, and then ultimately it'll be to the Fifth Circuit, but grateful uh, for this revelation that really answers a lot of questions of what we've been experiencing over the last several years when it comes to the social media. And, and grateful now that this uh, order is in place. So I want to switch gears for just a moment. Uh, in the few minutes we have left, uh, General Bailey, you joined with uh, six of your colleagues uh, last week in writing a letter to Target as uh, they were in Pride Month, uh, basically warning them that they could be violating child protection laws with some of the uh, merchandise that they were marketing. Uh, explain that to our, our viewers and listeners.
2: Well, we're not gonna let the woke left sexualize children in the in the state of Missouri. And certainly we have like-minded attorneys general in those other states that were willing to join with us. I mean, what the what the corporation did was deplorable, you know, trying to force values inconsistent with our values on us and, and then trying to shame us by claiming, hey, this is a celebration of diversity. It's not. It was a celebration of sexuality It promoted. Uh, perverse sexuality and tried to force that upon children uh, you know I, as a parent of four small children, I have a right to to teach my children uh, you know things like that when and where appropriate under the uh, circumstances that I deem appropriate and 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 consistent with my my values and so how dare uh, that corporation try to force that on the rest of us and certainly there are uh, legal remedies at play if if uh, laws were violated, but they're not pursuing profits anymore they're pursuing a woke agenda and, and needed to be called out for that.
1: Yeah, there's no question they're not pursuing profits. I mean, they lost $12 billion in market value as a result of a boycott because of uh, this pride display and, and the really grooming of children that they were doing. But what I find interesting, there were actually some of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle, some Democratic uh, state attorneys general, that wrote letters to Target when Target removed some of the displays. And, and I, what I find interesting about that is that these corporations, that they feel like they're, you know, stuck in the middle between, you know, left and right, red and blue or whatever, however you want to describe it. But they picked this fight. They're the ones that stepped into the middle of this. If they would have just done business and not tried to get into these, uh, if you want to call them cultural wars or whatever you want to describe them as, they wouldn't find themselves between a rock and a hard place.
2: Well, yeah, and th- th- their excuse is total garbage. Show me one shirt that they've sold that has the text of the Second Amendment on it or that promotes the NRA or has a Bible verse on it. So they, they, they're they pushing a left wing ideology. They're not stuck in the middle of anything. They've chosen a side. Now they're paying the consequences as well. They
0: should.
1: And we're seeing increasingly we've talked about this on the program, how more and more Republican lawmakers are backing away from corporate America. And I find this. Actually, quite satisfying, honestly, because corporate America has aligned themselves with the social policies of the left, and now they're screaming because they have to live with their fiscal policies as well, and it's not good for business.
2: Yeah, one wonders how much bargaining power they would have as corporations under Bernie Sanders' socialist agenda.
1: A final question for you, uh, General, speaking on the, uh, the issue of what Target was doing with all this transgender uh, stuff. You've been investigating uh, the hospitals there in Missouri that were profiting and enticing uh, children, parents into this pipeline of transgender, experimental transgender surgery and drug treatments. Any new uh, revelations on that front?
2: Yeah, we continue to push that investigation forward, and we're not going to let up until we've rooted out any wrongdoing. Uh, you know, the whistleblower came forward several months ago, and we launched a multi-agency investigation, the first of its kind in the nation. We led the state of Missouri on this issue. The General Assembly has since enacted a statute that that eliminates this kind of woke left-wing quackery from uh, mutilating children in the state of Missouri. And I'm so proud to live in a state— where we value the safety. I want Missouri to be the safest state in the nation for children. And this was a first step in achieving that objective. And we'll keep fighting to pursue that and holding wrongdoers accountable.
1: Well, General, I want to say you're doing your part uh, to make Missouri a great state and to inspire other states to uh, to take the same track. Uh, General Bailey, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Keep up the good work.
2: Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on.
1: Absolutely. All right. General Andrew Bailey of Missouri, attorney general there. Uh, Good news. Um, And and, and of course, we're going to continue to have him on every time we get more information about the disclosures between the Biden administration, their collusion with uh, social media companies. This is. Extremely important that this goes forward. All right, folks. Again, make sure you make plans now to join us for our pray vote stand summit September fifteenth through the seventeenth for a great great weekend. All right. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians six, where he says, "When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing."